Uh, We'll be looking at verses 39 through 52 this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Hear the word of the Lord. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. If you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember much about my childhood. Um, But I do remember very vividly uh, when I was 12 years old. Uh, I remember it very vividly because it was one of the greatest summers of my life. See, when I was growing up, uh, baseball was extremely important to me. Uh, Little League, uh, up into Babe Ruth, playing it in high school. Um, I thought about trying out in college, but uh, sports kind of take up your life in college, and uh, and, uh, I needed to concentrate on my academics. So um, uh, baseball was a big deal for me. And I remember my 12th, uh, when I was 12 years old, very vividly, because I think that may have been one of the greatest years of baseball in my life. Not because I was so great necessarily, because our team was exceptional. Uh, We had been together for three years since we were 10, 11, and now we were 12-year-olds. We were the oldest in Little League. Uh, We were a great team. We won our city championship, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I remember that year very vividly. Uh, This morning in our passage we have a story of Jesus when he was 12 years old. 
We only have one story in the Bible of all of his time growing up, from the time he was a baby after the Magi visited him until the time where he was 30. So there's about 30 years of Jesus' life that we are just ignorant of. We don't know exactly what was going on. We don't know, you know all the events that occurred. But we have this one, this one snippet into his life uh, when he was 12 years old. And uh, this morning, we're gonna, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at what this passage says, we're going to look at what it means, and then how we can apply this to our lives. So first of all, as we see this morning what this passage says to us, um, it starts off there in verse 40, that Jesus grew and he became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. We have a very similar statement at the end of our passage in verse 52 that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. We know that Jesus was like us. He grew. He was a baby. He was born as a as an infant, and he grew. He grew tall. He grew strong. But he also grew in wisdom and in favor with the Lord. We'll talk in a minute about what that means exactly. And so we see this this one event in his life when he was 12 years old. And we're told that each year his parents would go to the temple. They are very devout. Uh, They they go every year to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Uh, But this year was a special year because Jesus was 12. Uh, If you recall in Jewish culture, by the time you turn 13 you become a a member of the synagogue. You have your bar mitzvah. Uh, Jesus is about to become a man at this point. So he is brought to the temple in Jerusalem just like every other year. But this year is important because he needs to understand and know the intricacies of this Passover celebration. He is being taught here because next year uh, it's like it's the real deal for him. So he goes up there with his parents and he's in Jerusalem. He's learning about the Passover, what, what this means, these symbols, uh, about the Passover lamb, about the exodus from Egypt. And I would wonder just what it would be like for Jesus as he is learning about the Passover and what it means. Because the Passover points to him. Uh, I just can't imagine what would be going on in his mind. Uh, knowing that this was all a foreshadow of things that were to occur in his life. So after this Passover celebration, Jesus, as you know, stays behind. His parents go on, think he's with the group, uh, and uh, at the end of that day's journey, they start looking for him. He's nowhere to be found. So they head back to Jerusalem, a day's journey. Uh, They look for him there. Uh, And then finally, uh, on the next day, They find him. And where would they find him? But in the temple with the religious leaders sitting, listening to them, asking them questions and also giving answers. His parents come up to him and you see the question that Mary asks of him there. I'm sure you mothers maybe have asked this question or something similar to your to your sons. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Son, Jesus, why did you do this to us? What were you thinking? I can see Mary 
asking. Um, We need to remember that in this, Jesus was not disobedient. We cannot always say that of our own children. Usually when we ask that question, it's usually something that has gone wrong, uh, something they have done. Uh, But in this, Jesus was not disobedient. What's hard for me to grasp sometimes is to think of Jesus as 12. To think of him as not even a teenager yet. Um, A couple of the commentaries I was reading about this said that as he was developing mentally, he was also developing his social skills, his understanding. As a 12-year-old, he did not understand that this would cause his parents concern. His focus, as we see, was on his Father in heaven. His focus was on the Lord. Didn't you know that I would be, or that I must be, in my Father's house? He did not understand that it would cause his parents distress. He wasn't trying to hurt them intentionally. He's 12. But when he does understand the distress that he causes with his parents, he immediately submits to his parents. He hears what they have to say, and he dutifully obeys them. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us this morning? Well, one of the things that we need to realize is that Jesus was a human being. He was without sin as the Son of God, but he was a human being just like us. And what we'll see is that he can not only sympathize with us, but he can also empathize with us. And I'm going to talk a minute about that, uh, the difference between it. But because Jesus was a human being, he developed exactly like we do. He learned to sit up. He learned to walk. He learned to talk. Uh, Joseph, as a carpenter, taught him how to work with wood. Um, When Jesus became like us in the incarnation, he became like us in every single way, except that he was without sin. This blows my mind when we honestly stop to think about it. So even though he was the creator of the universe, he willingly subjected himself to limitations. I think one of the most amazing things that we see about Jesus is not necessarily his power. Uh, The miracles that he performed are incredible. The fact that he can calm a storm, that he can raise from the dead, but what I think is, is incredible as well is the fact that he limited himself. When we see the temptations, after 40 days, he's been fasting. He could have just called stones out and made them bread, but he did not do that because he was like us. He limited himself. He learned. He didn't come out of the womb talking, you know, performing miracles uh, as an infant. He had to learn the language. He had to learn how to work with wood. He was just like us. And what this shows us is that Jesus willingly suffered in every way like we do. He allowed himself to feel hunger, to feel thirsty. Um, He didn't have to, but he did. He took on our humanity to the fullness. And as the Bible says, because he is like us in every way, yet without sin, he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be us, he can bring comfort to our lives. He knows what we need in circumstances, and he is able to give us 
what we need. Um, at this point in my life, uh, all four of my grandparents have died. Uh, my, my grandmother, uh, my dad's mother died just a few years ago. Uh, my mother's father uh, was killed before I was born. Um, and since I've been alive, I've had three parents, three grandparents who have passed away. Uh, Stephanie has all her grandparents living. So she doesn't understand what it's like to lose a grandparent. Um, Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone close to him, just like I do. He lost his good friend, Lazarus. I'm sure there was other people in his community as well uh, that died while he was alive. He knows that pain. In fact, we read in the Bible in John 11:35 that when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. He knows that pain. Because he is like us in every way, yet without sin, not only can he sympathize with us, he can empathize with us. Let's do a little word study this morning. Uh, I'm not a grammarian by any means, so I, if anybody needs to correct me, that's totally fine. Um, but there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy can bring us comfort, but in empathy we have a connection. Uh, empathy is putting yourself in another person's shoes, trying to see things from their perspective. Sympathy is, is the ability to say, I'm sorry. Uh, empathy is being present with someone uh, during their sorrow. Uh, I saw a, a video recently that my mother-in-law, Stephanie's mother, showed me. Um, uh, her mother is, a, is a, an amazing counselor, um, Actually, uh, her mother and my stepfa- our stepfather as well uh, are both Christian counselors. And they, uh, they showed us this video by Brene Brown, is her name, uh, about the importance of empathy uh, in our lives, uh, how we need that. And she likened it to, say you have a friend who falls in a pit. When we're, when we're going through these hard times in our lives, it feels like we're in this, in this pit, and it's deep, and it's dark. And... Um, Empathy is when we go down into the pit with our friend. That we go down there and we are present with them. Sympathy is simply looking down from the top and saying, oof, that's bad. It must be really hard down in there. Um, the, the, the video, is, she, she brings up a point. That's something that we say often here in the South. Not to say that this is a bad phrase, but we say it often. Say, oh, bless your heart. That's sympathy. And that's not a bad thing. I don't want to say that sympathy is a bad thing. It is good for us to do that. Um, But when we take that next step to empathy, to actually go down into the pit with someone, it fuels connections between each other. These connections are vital for us. And empathy means that we don't necessarily try to fix things. It just means that we're in the midst of that with them. Jesus is incredible because he does sympathy and empathy perfectly with us. What we often long for in times of struggle and heartache are not just sympathetic people, but empathetic people as well. We long for people who will come down into the depths with us. Not to fix what has happened, but to simply be there with us. If you're like me, you often try to help by fixing we try to be sympathetic in that way and maybe not exactly 
helping the situation. I do this often with my wife when she comes to me and simply wants to just be heard on things that are going wrong. Uh, when there is uh, struggles at home with four young children, well, I have all the answers. When I come home and she explains what goes on, well, Stephanie, this is all you have to do. X, Y, and Z. Why didn't you do that? That doesn't go over well uh, with her. She doesn't want that. What she wants is simply to be heard. We often try to put a silver lining around the dark clouds in other people's lives. Um, but what we need, or what they need, is just our presence. Uh, Stephanie and I, before Elliot was born, uh, suffered through a miscarriage. It was Stephanie's first pregnancy. And it was hard. It was difficult. But what helped us were people who were there with us. Uh, people tried to help by saying, you know, well, at least you can get pregnant. Um, as well-meaning as that was, that still, it didn't ease the pain. Um, but those who could walk alongside with us, who were there when we could turn to, when we just needed to be with someone, uh, those are the ones who helped bring healing. Because no one can correct a miscarriage or somehow make it better. But being present in a struggle is an invaluable gift. Scripture tells us that not only is Jesus sympathetic to us in our weakness, but it also tells us that Jesus is with us. He is empathetic towards us. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Or the most famous Psalm in 23, Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for, for I am with you. That's what Jesus is saying to us. This is one of the ways that the humanity of Jesus is so crucial and it affects us today is because Jesus is sympathetic and empathetic towards us. He can say, I'm sorry. And He can be there in the depths with us. So not only that, but Jesus understands His identity as the Son of God and therefore He is able to submit Himself to His parents and ultimately to God. Now, Jesus was submissive to his parents. And I find that this is one of the most amazing statements in this story. What is being submissive? What is, what is submission? Uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, they would probably define it as uh, the ability to conform or uh, being under the authority of someone else. Uh, it involves acknowledging authority, first of all, and then a willingness to obey or an ability to yield yourself to another or to authority. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus was submissive to his parents. If we think about that for just a second, that Jesus was submissive to his parents. That Jesus, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords, who is the creator of the ends of the earth, who has made man, he subjected himself to man. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he willingly yield himself, yield his authority to human parents? Jesus knew perfectly well who he was and what he was out to accomplish. 
Uh, you'll notice in Jesus' response to his parents there, he states, um, Mary asks him, you know, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching and, you're, and we're in great distress. And he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, this phrase that Jesus used here, referring to God as my father, is something that is almost unheard of in the Old Testament. We don't see God being referred to as my father very often at all. And when it is, it's usually in terms of Israel as a whole. Uh, It's never in a very personal, intimate way like Jesus is describing it here. Jesus had a very keen sense of his own personal awareness. He knew who his father was in heaven and that he was his son. Jesus understood his relationship to God. He fully understood that God was his father. He understood his identity. And because of his relationship to his father in heaven, Jesus was able to submit to him. Multiple times in the, in the book of John, uh, Jesus explains his relationship to his father. He says, and this is Jesus speaking, I glorified you on this earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's John 17, verse 4. Or John 6, 38, says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And in John 8, 29, he says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And Jesus, first and, all, first and foremost, submitted to God, His heavenly Father. It was God the Father's desire for Jesus to become like us. For Him to become a human being. For Jesus to enter into human relationships. He was a son who had a mother and a father who were in authority over Him. And He respected that relationship. And He submitted to His parents. And this is what it means when it says that Jesus grew in wisdom. It was wise for him to submit to his parents, and he was able to do it. And if we think about it, the gospel is the good news about submission. I know it's not a term that our culture likes to use, submission. It means that there is authority, that we are subject to others. Uh, we like to be our own people. But the gospel is the good news regarding submission. Salvation is only possible to us because the submission of Christ to his heavenly Father. He did his Father's will in heaven. If you recall in the garden, while Jesus was praying, he said, Not my will, but yours be done. He gave up his will to his heavenly Father. And because Jesus was willing to conform to the authority of God, He was willing to give himself up completely to his Father, knowing that it would mean his death on the cross and experiencing, even worse than that, the wrath of God. Because Jesus loved his Father, Jesus willingly subjected himself to the desires of God. And because of this submission of Jesus, we have access to salvation now through faith. In Christ, Because of Christ and His submission, we have now been set 
free. And this is the beauty of the gospel. So what? So how does this apply to my life? So Jesus became a human being. He can sympathize. He can empathize with us. Uh, Jesus became a human being. He submitted himself to, to God the Father. Well, how is that going to affect me tomorrow morning as I head off to work? Well, here's the deal. Uh, because Jesus became like us and can sympathize, even empathize with us, therefore we can do the same thing for others. We talked in a recent sermon about the bonds that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we looked at Mary, how she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth after she found out she was pregnant and how important that was for her to be with someone who was going through a similar experience with her and how we can do that as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can find encouragement and support from one another. And it's vital for us as a church to display these qualities amongst each other. One of the things that we've been working on as a session, as elders, is our shepherding. Uh, God has raised up several men in our congregation to be leaders among us, and one of their duties is to be our shepherds, to shepherd us. And good shepherds know their sheep. Good shepherds are able to sympathize and empathize with those around us. Uh, one of the blessings of, the ch of a church our size is the relationships that we have with one another. In these relationships, may we imitate Christ in our interactions. May we be sympathetic and even take the next step to be empathetic with one another. We speak about being the hands and, and feet of Christ as we minister to those around us, um, but we can also be the presence of Christ to people as well. You know, we all go through dark nights of the soul. We all go through these journeys through the, the valley of the shadow of death at different times in our lives. Uh, if you're like me, you often want to give solutions to others to solve the problems that we have in our lives. We want to rescue people out of this pit, uh, but this rarely helps those who are truly suffering. Because how do you rescue a parent that lost their 18-year-old daughter in a tragic car accident? Uh, a family that loses their, their six-week-old child? Uh, a mother, how do you rescue her after she goes through a miscarriage? Uh, how do you rescue those who are struggling with depression or cancer or with marital struggles? You know, we aren't called to be saviors of each other. Because there is only one Savior, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, what we need to be and what we need to offer to people is our presence. Uh, it's amazing that in our highly connected culture that we have, with uh, all the technology uh, that, that we see, uh, we, we lack this sense of connectedness, of true intimacy with one another. And that is what we truly long for. People who are suffering long to connect with others. People who will come down into the pit of their struggle without judgment, without trying to, to silver line it, without uh, saying phrases that, that are well-intentioned but maybe uh, uh, won't fix the problem. Jesus is calling us to be present with one another because 
He was and He is present with us. Because Jesus became like us and He understands us. And how great it is to have someone who understands what we are going through. And not only that, but when we understand our identity in Christ through the Gospel, we can submit ourselves to God and to others. I want to conclude with this this morning, that, that Jesus fully understood that God was His Father in heaven. He had complete awareness of that. He understood that He was God's Son, that He had given Him a mission to accomplish. He knew that God loved Him and that He could trust His Father in heaven. And therefore, He willingly submitted Himself to God. Not only to God, but also to His parents as well. We are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is our Father in heaven. We can trust God. He does not lead us astray. And uh, Steve, lest you think that I wasn't going to use an illustration from yesterday, here it is. (laughs) God is a God who does not lead us astray. (laughs) I think you know where I'm going with this. We can trust God. Yesterday, myself, uh, our family, uh, visited with the Sanfords up in Heber Springs. We went out to see the swans that come down there to one of the lakes, and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. The only problem was getting there. (laughs) There were several times where, as we were following Steve, and I know he doesn't mind me saying this, that we had to turn around. We went down one street, we had to turn around. We went down another street, we had to turn around. Finally, Jennifer Fox jumped out of her car, uh, gave Steve uh, a look at, at her phone with uh, the GPS on it, and uh, we were able to find uh, the, the lake with the swans on it. Uh, this is not our God. He does not lead us astray. <laughs> no offense, Steve. You asked me to try to, uh, try to come up with an illustration, and there it is. So uh, we can trust our God. Yes, we can trust Steve Sanford as well, maybe not with directions, but with other things. Um, but because we can trust God, we can submit to Him. The Bible tells us in multiple places to submit to one another, to, uh, for wives to submit to our husbands, uh, for us to have mutual submission to each other, for children to, be, to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Uh, Jesus submitted to His parents, and we are called to do the same. So we are called to submit because submission is at the heart of the gospel. Submission is giving up control. Submission is handing over the reins. It is the giving up of our authority. So often we want that control. We want that authority to have it our way. But when we go at it our own way, we know where it leads. It leads to sin, to death, to destruction. But instead, the gospel is the good news that we don't have to be in control. It's the good news that we can give up control to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And who loves us so much that he would give up himself for us. The gospel is the good news that God is in control. That he has accomplished salvation for us through his son Jesus Christ. And there is no better place for us to be than in humble submission to Him. Let us pray.
our most gracious God and our Father in heaven. Once again, we are just simply grateful to you that we can call you our Father. And I pray that we would understand the identity that we have because of our faith in Christ. That we can know your love. We can know that we can trust you. That you are not a God who leads us astray. That we can give over control of our lives to you. Lord, that is a daily struggle and a daily battle for us. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would, that you would work in us. That you would allow us to do that. We thank you that you are a God who can sympathize and empathize with us in our weaknesses. That you are present with us. I pray that you would use us to be your presence to others as well. We thank you and we praise you for what you have done in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name alone that we pray. Amen.